Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Good morning. Today we'll be reading um, John 8, verse 31 through 38. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you will truly be my disciples. You, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Well, before you get up and run away because the youth guy is preaching, you're stuck. The doors have already been locked. Oh, no, my name is Jace Meyer, and I'm the youth pastor here, and I am excited to be bringing the word for you today and with you today. Uh, before we go any further, though, if you showed up just a few minutes early and went down and got some waffles, I need you to make a joyful noise right now. Yeah. They were so good. I broke all my rules about what my practices are before I get up and preach. I went and ate a whole plate of waffles. So if you're thinking about falling asleep in the next few minutes, then so am I. So am I. Um, I do want to give a big shout out to everyone listening on YouTube Live right now. Please continue to watch, even though it's me, not Pastor Ray. I'm looking at you right now. I do want to give a shout out to my friend Heather, who is home. She's not feeling well today. I promise she uh, said she was not feeling well before she knew it was me speaking. It was not an, <laughs> not an after thing like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to stay home. No, very excited to be up here. Certainly is a privilege to, to fellowship with you, to worship with you, and to celebrate this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, hopefully you see at the, at the top of your bulletin there, you'll see a, a reference, John 15, 13, and it's a verse that just fits perfectly into our thoughts about uh, Memorial Day and, and what, we're, what we're just thinking through this weekend. It says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. I read a social media post just a few days ago, and it very politely and directly explained that Memorial Day and, and, and this holiday is not to remember those who went and fought for their country and came home, but it is to remember and to honor those who went and fought for this country and for our freedoms and did not return home. So if you would please join me in a moment of silence for those who gave their lives for our freedom. Thank you. Thank you. I do want to point out that it is a uh, fifth Sunday of the month, and uh, Mackenzie did a great job of explaining that when she came up and did announcements. In fact, if you enjoyed Mackenzie's announcements, would you give her a big round of applause? Trust me, this is going to keep going. If you liked that Sergio Diaz did a great job with our scripture reading, would you give him a big round of applause? <clears throat> Also, Nathan Connor was on drums. Ariana Diaz was on the piano. 
Several other students were at doors. You were greeted, hopefully, by a student, given a bulletin by one of our students. And the whole reason that we do this, this fifth Sunday anomaly in main service uh, is clearly not to give me a day off. Uh, <laughs> But it's to get our students used to the fact that this room is not a scary place for young people, but it is a welcoming place. So I want students to be comfortable in here before they graduate, and I want students to be comfortable in here after they graduate. So every time we experience a fifth Sunday, you can expect to see a lot of us. I also do want to give a shout out. There's a lot of shouts going on. Uh, our DB Kids Elementary, I don't know if you saw, they, they took over several rows in the back just during worship. Uh, but Bradley wanted them to come and experience worship. And I know a lot of them are watching right now on the TVs over in DB Kids. So could we cheer for, for the kids that were in here? Yeah. <clears throat> So much, to, so much to shout out. Uh, you know, one last thing before I jump into the word, I do want to say uh, a big thank you from myself and uh, from my family. These last six months have been so amazing uh, being here on staff at Desert Breeze. I started right at the beginning of December of 2020, and uh, this church was, was still kind of in the middle, kind of coming out of a, a really tough time. And, uh, and I, I kind of was, was hired into that and was kind of brought up to speed, you know, as, as time went. But hopefully, I, I want you to know that 2020 was really hard for, for my family and myself as well. And we, we've, said, we've said enough about 2020, uh, that's for sure. Um, but God had this amazing plan. Uh, to, to bring myself and my family here, and, and we are so blessed, and we feel so loved. And, and just like Pastor Matt said just a few weeks ago when he was preaching, when he talked about storms, he talked about how God can use storms in our lives to shape us, to mold us, to change us, and even prepare us for uh, the next stage. So sometimes we don't know when we're right in the middle of it. Uh, we can't see through the fog and everything, but we know that God has something for us. So I'm so thrilled to, uh, to have been here for six months, and I'm told that in another six months, they'll start paying me. <laughs> oh, I'm pretty excited about that. Pretty excited. No, no, very well taken care of. Uh, God gave us an enormous blessing uh, just a few months ago. I know some of you know about this little guy, but I want everyone to see one of the newest additions to Desert Breeze Community Church. Oh, that's Colton. It'll be three months in just a few days, and he's just the cutest kid. And you look at that onesie right there, that Broncos onesie. I want you to know, yes, all right. I, I want you to know that I raise winners. Uh, <laughs> um, Mike, was that you? Are you a Cowboys fan? Oh, security's going to rough you up on the way out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah there's the, the, the pain is coming. No. Uh, you know, the, probably the biggest reason why I wanted you to see Colton is in a few minutes when this sermon is over, you're going to walk away going, boy, that sermon didn't make sense at all, but his kid is really cute. Uh, <laughs> so uh, there's, there's the win right there. There's the win right there. No, I'm so excited to be continuing this series in the Gospel of John. Uh, it doesn't matter how many times I, I read this text or, or hear sermons on these chapters and these verses. Uh, this particular book always is, is giving, and God is so good in, in revealing 
uh, new truths and, and things that I, I had never heard before or, or, or I could never even imagine. And it's been really awesome uh, sitting under Pastor Ray's teaching these last several months going through John. Uh, he told me to say that. Uh, and, <laughs> no, no. Uh, and and, it's, and it's, been, it's been really, really fun. Today we are in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 38, as Sergio read for us, where Jesus utters the words, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Just works beautifully with this Memorial Day weekend where we are so grateful for our freedom. These iconic words of Jesus are familiar in the hearts and minds of most believers. I could tell even right now as, as you finish the sentence for me. But what do they mean when Jesus said them? What do they mean today? What are these other questions and thoughts that go around this passage? Before we dive in, let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for what we are remembering today. Thank you for the hundreds of thousands of men and women that have laid down their lives for the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. God, those words are not enough, but it is, it is what we offer today, our thanks. God, thank you for the freedom that you give us. Thank you for the freedom that your son, Jesus, gives us. He came to this earth as just a humble baby, lived a perfect life, died on the cross and rose again and is now offering us freedom and eternity in heaven. We're so grateful. God, be with us today as we go through these verses in John 8. Lord, speak through me. These are your words, not mine. We ask your blessing now. Amen. <clears throat> freedom. What is it? How could we define it? I'm sure if I went around the room and said, how would you define freedom? I think I would get probably a uh, hundred different definitions because it, it, it has such a broad meaning and means so much to us in different ways. We crave it, but there are times when we have to earn it. We earn our freedom. Let me explain. I don't just hand a Walmart shopping list and the minivan keys to my daughter, Maylee, because she's four. And she has not shown me quite yet that she has earned that freedom to just go do my shopping for me. Uh, it's also illegal, so that's, that's another reason why I don't do it. But she has not quite shown me that she's earned that freedom. I remember as a grade school kid, as an eight-year-old, uh, my siblings and I, my, my older sister, my younger brother, we really wanted a puppy. We had reached that point in our lives when uh, we wanted to be a dog family. And I remember as an eight-year-old, you know, I, I had the kind of the, the tunnel vision blinders on. It seemed like everywhere I went, everyone had a dog. You know, it's like when you're shopping for a car and you're looking for a red Jeep. All you see is red Jeeps on the road. All the, I, I, I just saw puppies everywhere. And, and all these families have dogs, and we're the only family in the neighborhood that doesn't have a dog. So, so I go to my parents, and I start making my impassioned plea for a puppy. I, I went to my mom and dad and said, Mom and Dad, you, you don't understand. If I have a dog, I will be a better person. Mom, Mom, if, 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 if you get me a dog, I'll be a better son. I, I even tried this. Mom, Dad, if you get me a dog, I'll be a better Christian. It didn't work. It didn't work. 
my parents just looked at me, and, 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 and you parents and your kin relate, we don't want the lip service. We don't want you coming up with your words. We actually want you to show us, and my parents wanted me to show them that I was responsible enough to take care of a dog. They wanted to see me do my existing chores without complaining. They wanted to see me uh, not respond disrespectfully when maybe a little extra is asked of me. It took a whole season of, of doing these things, and not perfectly, but I think my parents could see the effort. Um, one day, my parents loaded us up, took us to a home with several litters of pups, and, and after hours of, of playing with these puppies and you know, getting all the kisses and all that, you know, we, uh, we got to pick one out, and we got to bring her home, little, little Hershey. Uh, she was a devil dog, but, uh, but we, 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 we got to bring her home. And did we take care of her? Yes, for six weeks. And dad took over because that dog would have died. Uh, that dog would have starved to death. The point is I could tell my parents all day long that I wanted a puppy, and I could tell my parents all day long about all the things that having a puppy would do for me and do for our family. But it takes so much more to prepare oneself for owning and taking care of a dog and to then actually do it. In the same way, Jesus, he, he, he just finishes up a section of teaching in John chapter 8, and Pastor Ray spoke on it last week, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in verse 30 of the passage, we see that, that, that many people believed in him. They're like, yes, I right, his, his, his words sunk in right away. His teachings are sinking in. And it says that many people believed in him. And today we're picking up uh, again with the, the words of Jesus in verse 31. And he immediately is challenging people to go to the next level. If you abide in my word, verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Saying you believe in me is one thing. Saying you want the puppy is one thing, but if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I, I, I paraphrased it like this. Jesus is saying, hang on to every word that I say. Make my words the very core of your life, and make the transition from casual believer to invested disciple. And through that, you will know the truth. Leads us to point one on your sheet there. You know, John 8, 31 and 32, that fill in the blank is giving him the time will transform your paradigm. Yes, it rhymes. No, I'm not that clever. Uh, it just, it just kind of happened. I came to that statement through kind of a, a simple word study on the word abide. Abide meaning to obey, observe. Follow, keep to, hold to, act in accordance with. It appears 36 times in the ESV that we're reading from today. It appears 103 times in the King James Version Bible. And if that's you reading King James Version, then thou art having a tough read. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, 100, 103 times we find the word abide. The word is found peppered throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, but perhaps the most famous chapter where Jesus repeatedly uses the word abide is in John chapter 15. 
I won't go too deep there because Pastor Ray will be in John 15 in just a few months, so I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to get ahead of his sermon. But the one spoiler I do want to give you, it's a fantastic chapter. If you haven't read it, read it. Uh, It's so good. Without diving too deep, the first 17 verses of the chapter are all about how Jesus is the vine, the Father is the vine dresser, and we are the branches. Without the vine, without the, the life source, us branches are we're dead in the wind. I mean, think about that bush that's probably in your front yard right now that's not looking so good. Those branches, I mean, I'm talking about my own yard. Those branches are dead in the wind. They are not connected to the life source. We can do nothing unless we are connected closely with Christ, unless we abide in him. The plus side is, is when we attach ourselves and when we actually abide in him and, and, and actually be so close to the vine of Christ, that, that healthy fruit starts to be produced. And I think each and every one of us, again, if I went around the room right now and I said, can you even discuss for a moment a season in your life where you were so closely connected with God, how did that make you feel? What started appearing in your life? What positive, what fruit started to be produced? The downside is that sometimes even a healthy branch gets pruned, gets cut up a bit, gets cut back a little bit. How many guys, you know, just in your, in your front yard, backyard maintenance, you, you have that tree or that bush that is clearly doing well because it has just grown over your neighbor's wall and they're complaining to you. And, but, it, I mean, it's green and there's flowers. And, and you look at that and be like, okay, something good is happening here, but I actually have to trim it back now. And for this bush to continue to be healthy, you have to cut back some of the healthy branches. You have to pick strategic points on the branch to cut and know that it will be even healthier moving forward. The Heavenly Father is the same way when he looks at us. Sometimes when we are healthy, sometimes when we're producing fruit, he looks at us and goes, boy, I could, I could actually trim just a little bit. And it might be a little painful, but even more fruit will be produced. Does being pruned feel good? No. Wow. I mean, imagine, just be a branch for two seconds and look at those shears coming right towards you like, no, get, get, I'm fine. Everything, everything's good here. Yeah, it doesn't feel good? Absolutely not. At least not at first. Another passage I inevitably find myself turning to when I think of abiding in Christ uh, comes from Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, the good doctor gives us a, 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 a real tangible, a real, a real life story about what it means to abide in Christ. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42 says this, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. 
Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Love this story. Love this, this little story, this little passage right here in the middle of Luke. Jesus enters a village and he encounters two sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha is the ultimate hostess that I think a lot of us, if not all of us, can relate to on some level. Jesus is here. He's coming to my house. I haven't vacuumed in a week. I got to pick up all the kids' toys. I, I, you know, I, I got to get all the snacks ready. Like, he's not going to be coming alone. I got to get ready to take care of all the guests. I got to be the ultimate hostess. If you were to ask my wife, which I'm not sure, is she in here right now? Brittany, are you in here? She is. Hi, Brittany. Hi. Uh, she's in here, and she, it's important that she's in here because she can tell you if I'm telling the truth or not. Uh, she would tell you that I do not relate to being Martha at all. It's hurtful that you laughed so easily. She would be the one running around, because I mean, she, she, I mean, she's the Martha. Yeah, everyone would be mad at her. Uh, <laughs> no, she would be the one running around making sure that the house was spotless. She would be making the amazing snacks. She'd be going to the guests, making sure that they're happy and that their cups are full and that all is good. And I'd be the one kind of standing off to the side, not really sure what's happening. And I'd probably bother her throughout going, hey, Britt, um, Where's the TV remote? I'm trying to watch the game. Like, what's, what's going on in the house right now? And why can't I find the remote? Help me. Uh, and also, my cup is empty. Like, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm not great at the whole party thing. So if you come to my house and I don't offer you water, I, I like you. I'm just not good at it, all right? Uh, I do want to say, too, that I've systematically used this to get out of chores in nine years of marriage. Uh, in fact, I, I, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, men. Listen up. Women, you're going to be mad. Uh, husbands, if you want to get out of doing laundry, pay attention. You only have to do this one time. Uh, if you want to get out of doing laundry, I want you to take all of the darks, all the lights, all the colors, all the delicates, one load. I'm telling you, it's a made-up thing by the government that we have to do five loads of laundry to get them all done. You put them all in one load, and you set that water to hot, so it cleans everything, and you will never get asked to do laundry again. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. throw the bleach in there, too, and you will never get asked to do laundry again. I've got so many more marriage hacks, but that's probably, it's probably a different sermon. I don't know what series that would fit under. Oh, I'll talk with that with Pastor Ray. <clears throat> Anyways, Martha's running around. She's going crazy, and Mary is just chilling at the feet of Jesus, and Martha's upset. She's upset. Lord, what on earth is she doing? Tell her to get up and help me. It's almost like a little you know, tattling at this point. Tell her to get up. I'm, I'm going crazy here. And you just have to imagine Jesus looking at Martha and doing his very best Brady Bunch impersonation right now. Martha, Martha, Martha. I'm glad that got some laughs. I had to look that up on YouTube. I didn't grow up on the Brady Bunch. But Martha, 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 you are freaking out over things that are not important right now. Only one thing is important. Mary has chosen it, and it will not be taken from her. Imagine being Martha in that moment. Wait, what, what? I thought I was doing the important thing. She's doing the important thing? Martha only saw that 
Keeping Jesus happy meant doing all these things. Keeping Jesus happy meant keeping the house clean. Keeping Jesus happy meant keeping the guests happy. Keeping Jesus happy meant, you know, that the party was going really well. But Jesus only wants one thing. He only wants the good portion that Mary has chosen here. He only wants us sitting at his feet, abiding in him. Jesus makes it clear, if you give him your time, he will transform your paradigm, the very model that your life is built upon. Saying you believe in him is one thing, but sitting attentively at his feet is what he really desires. Abiding in him leads to depth. It leads to discipleship, and depth leads to the truth. Not the truth that, that you hear today all over society. Not the truth that you see on, on Facebook on these really lame memes and other things that are posted that says, choose your truth. Find your truth. A lot of my seniors right now, that's what colleges will tell them. Come here and find your truth. Wow, what a terrible tagline. Please do not go to that school. What's your truth? No, Jesus is talking about the truth, the unchanging, never-failing, unashaming, life-altering truth of the Word of God, and specifically in this passage, the very words of Jesus. Whatever hurt you're carrying, whatever sin you're carrying, whatever sadness you're carrying, anger you're carrying, judgment and lack of forgiveness that you're carrying, the truth that Jesus has is capable of setting you free. I feel like we could pray and close with that. But Pastor Ray told me that there's no time limit during these sermons. I only get to preach once a year, so I'm going to make a count. I actually got one more point and then we'll be done. One more point to make today in John chapter 8, so flip your brains back there. This point is based on the crowd's reaction to Jesus saying, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The crowd, the crowd looked at him at that point and they go, set me free, set me free from what? I've never been a slave before. In fact, in fact we're sons of Abraham. We'll look back in the generations. There's no slaves here. What are, you, what are we being set free from? In your notes, you'll see in your fill in the blank it is, are you a slave or are you a son? Are you a slave or are you a son? Of course, their first reaction. It's probably similar to something I would say. If, if one of you came up to me and said, I'm going to set you free. Set me free from what? I'm free. I live in the greatest country. So many people have, have given their lives for my freedom. Set me free from what? I'm not a slave. Jesus responds, verse 34, he answers them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What does that mean? Let's break it down. And I want you to know that, that these verses right here, this little chunk right here, I, I had to personally spend a lot of time here and study here and figure out, okay, what exactly is Jesus saying here? He's talking about slaves. He's talking about son. We see son with a little s. We see son with a big s. You know, what, what, what are we talking about? So let's break it down. Everyone who 
who practices sin habitually is enslaved by it. The Greek word that Jesus is using here, and yes, I'm pulling out a Greek word right now. The Greek word that Jesus is using is doulos. It literally means slave. That is the definition for it, and that is the word that Jesus is using here. Up until this point, the term slave suggests a lifelong title. So yes, when Jesus was looking at the crowd, he was literally saying, you are all slaves to your sin. You are all slaves. And so the people are hearing a lifelong title, once a slave, always a slave. But then in verse 35, he says, the slave doesn't remain in the house forever. What he means right there is slaves can actually be bought and sold, just like we can almost be bought and sold in our sin habitually enslaved by different sins. Slaves can be bought and sold, but the son, little s, keep that in mind, the son remains in the house. Sons are not generally bought and sold. Slaves are, sons are not. We could pause right here though. Parents, have you ever thought about selling one of your sons before? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, a couple hands just went up. You ever just have those really tough moments where you're like, what do you think we could get on Craigslist right about now? Um, just make offer. I don't know. Uh, no, but what Jesus is saying is that slaves are bought and sold. Sons are not. Verse 36, we now see that Jesus is saying that, that being a slave or being enslaved or caught in the lifelong bondage of sin can be set free by the son, big S. Okay, this is, a, this is okay, what are we saying here? So when Jesus says, Everyone who practices sin is enslaved by it. We now have a choice put in front of us of being a doulos, a slave who is in it for life, or a son, a son within the house who is released by the bondage by the son. You see, a son is constantly being shown grace and mercy and forgiveness. I mean, think about even in your own home or how you were brought up. A son is in line for an inheritance. There's, there, there's so much that comes with being a son. I don't know about you, but I would much rather have Jesus view me in that way. View me as a son, especially in the midst of my sin. Freedom from sin is attainable through Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's starting to explain. And it is throwing the crowd for a loop because, again, this is new. This is new verbiage. This is a new train of thought. This is new to have a guy standing here saying, I can free you. What? And believe it or not, it is that simple. It is. Is it hard to live out that freedom every single day, though? Yeah, it's also hard to do that. Look at Paul. Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 20, we, we read the words of a man who, who is actually feeling a little conflicted. Keep in mind, this is the guy who wrote half of the New Testament. This is a guy who, who we refer to so many times in sermons and in teachings and in small groups and in discipleship groups. The Apostle Paul, he says this, for we know... That the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. 
So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. That's a sermon right there. We could, we could look at Romans 7 and be there for a long time. But I want you to hear and I want you to see and I want you to read the struggle that Paul himself is going through. This, this desire and this battle that goes back and forth between the flesh and the spirit. Another quick one that, that's, that's not in your notes, but it's a simple look at 1 Corinthians 13, the, the, the chapter of love, the classic chapter. I read this chapter at a wedding just yesterday morning. I just want to read a few verses, 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Folks, at the very core of being a believer is two commandments, love God and love others. If that's not our motivation, then what we are very likely experiencing is the enslavement and the struggles and the desires of our flesh. Men, are you treating your wives accordingly? Everyone, are, are, are we loving everyone in the way that we are directed right here in Scripture? I know that the struggle is real. I know that our struggles are the same day by day. To illustrate this struggle a little bit, I want to I show you something. I brought two of my, two of my favorite drinks here with me. I kind of knew at this point, too, in the sermon I'd be a little thirsty, so um, I wanted to bring these drinks. I have two drinks. One is lemonade. Uh, raise your hand if you like lemonade. Yeah, oh, everyone loves a nice cold lemonade. Especially when they've been talking nonstop for like 30 minutes. And I got chocolate milk too. Raise your hand if you like chocolate milk. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking Everyone, I mean, I got chocolate So, fun fact about me and chocolate milk. I'm lactose intolerant. This has a habit of hurting me. But using these drinks, I want to illustrate the struggle that we as believers, we go through each and every day. I just want to say that I love Jesus. But I also want to say that I love and am enslaved by my sin. And for me in particular, and I think what will help drive this point home is that sin, just like chocolate milk for me, sin, kind of when we're in it, especially habitually, in the moment, it can feel good. It can taste really good. But as time goes on, and we spend a lot of time with our sin, it can do some real damage. And uh, maybe start praying for my wife right now. I love Jesus, and I love my sin. Let me give you some illustrations right here. Uh, let me kind of walk through a day. Maybe this is kind of like your day. Uh, you wake up in the morning, and you have some real, solid, uninterrupted, quiet time with God. 
just a really good time with him. But as soon as you close your Bible, you open up your laptop and you go on Facebook. And you get on some of your favorite discussion chats and you see this thread starting and it's really starting to heat you up because nothing gets your blood boiling more than politics, pipelines, and Pelosi. <laughs> and you start commenting. Uh, all in the name of the Lord though, right? Because you're gonna change the world on Facebook. Changing votes and lives and faith. Okay, I'm getting out of control here. Yeah. Now, okay, you get through that. You get through that. And uh, let's say later on you go, you know what? It's time. I'm going to make a commitment to join a life group at church. I'm going to get my wife involved. I'm going to get my family involved. It's time for me to seek some real accountability and an extra layer of truth in my life. Yeah, we'll throw down some lemonade. Yeah. A little bit later on, you make the commitment says, I'm going to stop looking at porn after this one last time. It's a battle. Now you're sitting there going, Jace, this is kind of an unrealistic example. This is not how my life looks. This is not how anyone's life looks. You don't just bounce back and forth doing a good thing and doing the wrong thing. You know. So let's say, okay, if that's you, and maybe this isn't this isn't, you know, hitting home right now, here's what I want to show you. Even if there's one sin in your life that plagues you, even if there's one sin that just kind of messes with you, that's what starts to happen. This mix starts to happen in your life, good and bad. And even if it's just one sin, one, you know, just a little bit of chocolate milk in a mostly full lemonade bottle, this is what our life starts to look like. And then as we live day by day, yeah. Mm -hmm. You'll remember. If you forget everything, you'll remember that. We know that we get to choose. Are we enslaved by our sin or are we a son living in the house? A life chosen to follow hard after Jesus is a life of freedom in him. Is it a life of perfection? No, it is not. But a life with Jesus, a life abiding in him, a life committed to sitting at his feet, a life committed to attaching yourself to him in order to bear fruit is a life worth living. And again, some of you might be saying, Jace, you're making it too simple. There's so much more to my life that you don't know. There's so much pain in my life, so much hurt in my life, so much suffering in my life? How could, you, how could you possibly know? How could you possibly just say that through everything I've gone through that there's freedom? Jesus answers that question too. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Folks, Jesus is waiting. He's waiting with open arms. He not only wants to save you with his truth, but he wants to lighten your load. He wants to take on your burden that you feel like you're carrying. Here's a question. Have you handed your burden over to him and said, God, save me? God, save me with your truth. God, lighten my load. God, I need you. If you haven't, then in just a minute when I close this service, I'm going to be standing right here, and any elders that are in here this morning, they'll be joining me as well. If you haven't made that decision, then please be bold, be courageous, and come up here and just say, hey, I would like to know more about this truth that you're talking about. I'd like to know more about freedom that can be found in Christ. I want to know more about how Jesus can save me. Or you might be sitting there and you say, well, Jace, I've, I've, I've given my life to Jesus, but I still have moments where I feel like I'm a slave and I feel like that I'm caught. Then I want you to ask yourself, what does my abide look like? What does it look like in your day-to-day life? Because whatever or whoever you abide in is what you will look like and who you will look like. And if you choose Jesus, you will start to reflect Jesus and you will just be bathed in his truth. Only then will you be free indeed. Let's pray. God, thank you for just an amazing time. Thank you for this church and and just how attentive they are to your word and and what it has for all of us. God, I'm so grateful for this opportunity to study scripture here and to grow here and to have this just amazing time. God, thank you for taking over in the last half hour and speaking through me. God, let your words just be so strong, not in this moment, but in the moments to come, the days, the weeks, the months to come. You are amazing. The freedom that you offer, the saving grace that you offer, it's a gift that cannot be compared to any other gift. God, we love you so much. And again, we are so grateful for the freedoms that we enjoy here in this country and the freedoms that you give us every single day. Amen. 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 You are dismissed. Please enjoy the rest of your weekend.